0: Find a
1: location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE.
1: If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates
0: down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field.
1: That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape... You can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA.
0: Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil And this week, we're talking about the asymmetrical multiplayer horror of developer Ilphonic and publisher Gun Media's Friday the 13th, The Game, in which a group of up to seven counselors attempt to escape the clutches of everyone's favorite mama boy slasher icon, Jason Voorhees, and make it out of camp alive. So... It's difficult to talk about this game without beginning with the essentially death notice that it was handed uh, just a few years after it launched. There's this ever-pending IP nightmare and licensing nightmare uh, that is, you know, maybe at this point the most terrifying part of the Jason uh, <laughs> Jason Voorhees and Friday the 13th brand in that, you know, it's not only prevented us from getting a new film since the, uh, you know, the reboot that we had now, I believe you know, 10 years ago, if not more. And the fact that, you know, we had a game that was based around Friday the 13th and, you know, it had a decent amount of content for an asymmetrical multiplayer out the gate. And yet they are basically barred from producing new content that could give this really the natural sort of blueprint roadmap of Mm. more than, you know, a handful of years um, because they, you know, simply can't either reference older material from other films that they have yet to adapt or just creating brand new content based off of the IP, which is, you know, ever established, Um, which is a shame because, you know, something that you and I have talked about previously on the podcast and off the podcast is the fact that, you know, there's not a great deal of positive, I'll say, uh, you know, chatter about this game online and you see the typical thing of like, oh, it's a dead game. It's not being, it was never supported the way it should be. And on revisiting the game and sort of going back and thinking about some fond memories that I had with this game from launch and whatnot. And I know that, you know, you have as well. Um, it's a shame that a game that right out of the gate felt very true to the source material. It felt like they had a proper understanding of the source material. And it had the foundation for what could have been a truly competitive asymmetrical multiplayer game in a space that, you know, as we've discussed previously, is uh, abundant with varying degrees of, uh, you know, challengers to the sort of established uh, heavy hitters of that subgenre. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a shame that something such as Friday the 13th, which is one of the most beloved brands in all of horror, um, really was, uh, you know, had its legs cut out from under it, I think, before it truly could see the growth that you would want from an asymmetrical multiplayer game.
1: Yeah, because, you know, this started life basically as not a Friday the 13th game. You know, it was right. just a, jet, a sort of homage thing. And it was only after having such you know, great talks with Sean S. Cunningham, you know, that they you know, got to this and, and made a game. And it's horrible to think that this game could have been, you know, a keeper and stayed alive had it not had this license in the end. But at the same time, it, the, their love for it and the passion is what got the license, you know? And, yeah, the, that is the thing that constantly frustrates, you know, because so many live-service games, especially now, you know, when it's more of a thing, you know, they can get by, you know, if, if they lose a license here and there, you know, because they've built themselves up enough without it. You know, Dead by Daylight is a very good example of that, which, you know, cruelly was the alternative in the year this came out and um that's um lost licenses and coped because just throw more you know you you think a fortnight does it all the time chuck license you know here there and everywhere and it can lose them because you don't have to worry about stuff being in a store all the time but when you make a whole game about license. And you are unfortunate enough to get in this situation. And, you know, it's no fault. It's not Sean S. Cunningham's fault. It's not guns. It's not ill fights. None of the people involved with this game are at fault for what happened. You know, yes, the game was always going to be a bit iffy to release as a live service game because being small companies, you don't know what you're getting in for. And I know people always roll their eyes at the idea of you should have be prepared better for an online launch. You can't. You, you cannot test that in the wild if a company as big as rockstar can fuck that up you know like everyone remembers gta online and at the launch of that i remember it i remember waiting hours to play for 10 minutes like that but i did and i waited but and the craziness people got rid of that that and it creates an idea in people's heads of what that game is then and forever and yet guess what game is still selling to this day Yeah, by the way, you know, because of that online mode, yeah, and but people will still turn around and go, why are they not doing anything new? Why is this game still getting updated like that? Because people are still playing, you know, like that. Just because you didn't enjoy it and you your experience was those first hours, you know, that's irrelevant. And it's very much the same here on a smaller scale. but those early days where things were you know needed smoothing out and you know they had to get it right and. We didn't have the experience of what we know now with live service games, you know, where people will be like, you will see it now. You, you kind of know what's going to happen. Either you, you're not quite fully fit at launch and you're promising that you know more stuff will come. You've just got to give it time. We know this now. You know That's the thing. You can have a bare bones experience. And if it's fun, you, you'll stick around because you want to see more. Now, not only did we not know this, so that was cruel, on this game straight away. So it got condemned for what it wasn't um, from the out. You know, it then had the license problem, which just made it even worse because then they could do nothing. Because even if they wanted to update it, there was only very specific things they could update. You know, because of, and you know, it's a, it's a legal land, you know, my field, You know, isn't it? Because. What can you do? It, um you can't really make the game better in the ways you need to because some of that involves using the license and you can't use it. I mean this game has soldiered on quite well through you know a very cult sort of following and I know people that love this game I'm one of them you know i I think yeah you know, I reviewed this game back at launch and yeah, I get it like five out of ten because of the state it was in and all the stuff of that, but you know, Everything I said in the review at the time was like, there's so much to love up in here. You know, it's good stuff and such a love for the franchise that, you know, you can see more could come from this like that. But again, I didn't know the extent of what could come from this because it was still early in those days of what these kind of games would become, you know, in terms of content. the word. But, um, <laughs> I hate saying content. as a word. Right. Adding more stuff to the game. There you go. Um, yeah. And that's such a crucial part of it now, and yeah, that frustrates me more than anything. And, you know, it's great for like Gun. Yeah, you know, they have gone on to do more stuff with other franchises. illphonic have gone into other licensed stuff. You know, like Predator Hunting Grounds, which they didn't have a problem with the license, but it was yeah you know, okay. You know, like that. It was um. That was more Standard. of a
0: foundation issue than navigating yeah. a licensing landmine uh, yeah. minefield.
1: Yeah, and I think I think the thing we've learned from this game is that you have to have a love and understanding of what you're making you know, beyond just surface level. And I think, what well, it was here for both, for every company involved to a degree. You know, it was just they got done dirty by the other side of it, you know, what can you do? You, know, you can't do anything about that. You know, I think Gun will probably succeed with Texas Chainsaw Massacre because, you know, it's a love and understanding of what they're doing, and you know, having we've played it so you know, in the early source phrase, and, and you know, it's promising. You know, what it's doing. Difference now between then with this is, you know, the market is a bit more saturated, so. It's doing different things, it's keeping true to the source, that's good. But you know, people are still going nuts for Dead by Daylight every time something new is announced. You know, all they have to do is say, Hey, Nicolas Cage, hey, Xenomorph, stuff like that, like we've seen recently. And people go bananas, you know, like that. And that's the fight you're up against. So it's carving that niche. We saw that very recently as well with the Evil Dead game by Saber Interactive, You know where it has some faithful elements. It had an audience of people that really liked it for being what it is. It's not like going to go beyond a certain level, you know. And this game was never going to be that. It was never going to be like this major, you know, money-making franchise. It was. Never, it was never about that, you know. It, it's more about the passion uh, of what is being made. And yeah, like you said, legs cut out from under it before it could ever be anything else.
0: By the way, I'm pretty sure I just had a realization that my love language is including Nicolas Cage and Xenomorphs into any game that I am (laughs) uh, currently playing or have played in the past. But, you know, I think that it's very interesting, the fact, and it's, I think, an example of a game where, you know, they didn't begin with the IP and then build around it, right? We've certainly Mm. seen some examples where studios have gotten the IP, and then they try to build a game around that, whereas when you do it the opposite way with something such as Friday the 13th, you know, I think that's why the foundation was so strong. And then it ends up being this wonderful merger of a foundation that makes sense, even if you have, yeah. you know, they had Friday the 13th in mind, but, you know, initially it was let's formulate these mechanics and the foundation of what this game actually looks like and the very unique experiences that are on both sides of the asymmetrical nature of this. And then once you apply that love of the franchise to it, you know, it does make for this experience that does not get nearly enough credit. And to a certain extent, you know, it's people that can't get past the fact that, you know, there's this game that you bought and that it's going to be basically not only delisted by the end of this year, but then, you know, if you already own the game such as we do, you know, those servers that in any capacity are not going to be available after I think it's 2024. Uh, Because right now I believe the only way to play it is like peer-to-peer matchmaking, um, which is unfortunate. But there's a certain subsection of players that can't get past the fact that this did not work out due to, as we've mentioned, uh, things that are outside the developer's control, unfortunately. But when you look at this game on its own merit... From the ground up, and I look at this much in the same way I look at the Evil Dead game that we covered uh, when we had Brandon Trush on, you know, this is a game that first and foremost, these are developers whose love of the franchise and the source material is coming through through gameplay mechanics in a way that doesn't feel like just set dressing. And, you know, for me, I'm going to lead with the aspect of this game that I am continually impressed by and I think is... Really, where the buck stops in terms of the conversation of, well, did they use this IP to the best of its ability? Do they are they just using it because of the you know fandom that comes with Friday Thirteenth? And you know, I find that the utilization of Jason and the various I'll call them fits right the costumes mm. that he has are sort of the end all be all of the conversation if I was to have with somebody about whether or not it's a good utilization of the IP because yeah. if these were developers that you know, either went into this without a game plan. They went into this thinking, well, we can kind of rest on the laurels of the franchise's success. When you think about Jason and the way he's used in this game, it's not only pitch perfect in terms of, you know, his abilities, the power that comes with the empowerment that comes with playing as Jason and hunting these campers and whatnot. But I come back to the costumes because they're not just cosmetic changes. Right. So for people that don't know, when you play as Jason, you basically get to pick from Friday the 13th, part two, part three, I believe it's six, seven, eight and nine. And you can pick the different, you know, fits and costumes of Jason. And it'd be one thing if those were just cosmetic. Right. It's like, oh, I want a different flavor here or there just to switch things up. But ultimately, if he just played the same, those would be unremarkable, I think. Yeah. And I think that gun media and Illphonic's love for this and understanding of how to implement a love for an IP comes through in the fact that each one of those different costumes essentially serves as a different class for the killer because of the fact that they not only look different, but they play different, which is truly, I think, what stopped this game from hitting perhaps the sort of monotony or... it's more of a personal thing for me, I suppose, like I get hung up a lot on, you know, when you do these asymmetrical games, it's like, well, after 10 hours, I basically have experienced everything. And I found with Friday the 13th, the game that each one of these costumes or character classes for Jason really did fundamentally change the way that I approached each outing as Jason. Um, And I found that, you know, that gave this game an incredible amount of replay value and, if anything, when you look at side-by-side comparisons of something like Dead by Daylight to Friday the 13th, the one aspect that I would say Friday the 13th exceeds that is the fact that you start at that same base level of, you know, the basic way that Jason controls is more or less very similar. You know, there's going to be a couple yeah. of classes here or there that have perks where it's like he can run faster or he, you know, fast walks kind of thing. Yeah. But outside of that... Jumping into a new Jason class did not have the same barrier to entry that something like a new class or killer in Dead by Daylight had, you know, granted, we can talk about the end game and just the amount of time you could spend with Dead by Daylight outside of the licensing snafus and stuff um, is going to be much greater. So you have to have that sort of wider pool of experiences and characters in these things. But when you think about going into an asymmetrical multiplayer game in the short term, I found that. Friday the 13th was much easier to get into because of the fact, no matter which of those different classes I picked of Jason, they more or less for the first few minutes feel very similar, which I found to be more inviting for experimentation and hunting down these counselors Mm. and whatnot. What did you kind of think of all the different uh, fits in classes for Jason and how that uh, had an impact on gameplay?
1: Yeah, as you said, they're a bit more subtle because you are basically being different iteration of the same character so that's harder to translate you know i think when we go to the idea of keep it simple stupid when it comes to games where you, you you treat your audience like they're stupid and they need everything explained to them so you must have a different character for each class because otherwise they will just be like this is all the same and so that was lost but i did yeah that it's smart that each one has subtle differences you know unfortunately one of the things that was lost in the dispute with the licensing is that you know we, it had just been teased that we we're going to get jason x you know the uber jason and that map as well yeah so yeah, yeah. even then you know it was outdoing what dead by daylight has only just done in the last year in terms of going sci-fi so it, it would have been again very different jason and very different style i, I mean in terms of like the whole franchise, that is the most different Jason. We know that like that, and that's why you know I have great love for that film, yeah, despite its flaws. But yeah, these little tweaks and changes, and when you go back into the movies as well, you know, for movies that have always felt to be quite shallow in a lot of ways, and you know they're very recap heavy. You know they they waste a lot of their runtime on doing like five minutes from the previous film, yep. and <laughs> things like that, and. But They're so endearing to me, you know. There's a consistency in what they do, um, and they do sort of upgrade Jason in some way, shape, or form each time. You know, and the different survivors you, know, that you get from these and different victims to be are all interesting in their own right. There's out of all the big slasher franchises we've had it's probably one of the most uninspired in terms of like really changing the dynamics when you come down to it. It does tough things, you know, we have telekinesis, we have fucking you know, <laughs> destiny killers, we have the sci-fi stuff. It goes different places, but yeah, the premise is still basically the same. You know, like yeah. that. You know, it, you know, you could say the same as Scream, if you will, but because of the way the meta nature of that, it means it keeps fresh by being relevant to each uh, decade or time period it, it takes place in. But yeah, but I've always loved that about Friday the Thirteenth. I, I think it, it's one of its most endearing qualities is it's not trying to go too far out there. It's always going to be feel like Jason Voorhees killing a bunch of kids, and that's it. Even in you know Freddy vs. Jason, you know that that is his raison d'être. He is doing it, and nothing will stop him doing it. You know like that there is no humanity there. Yeah, in the same way you get with a lot of the other sort of icons of the genre. Yeah, he just feels like an entity. You know, like that. He's just, the and just ironically, feels like the most Dead by Daylight character that isn't, you know, in Dead by Daylight. Like, you know, he is the guy who is in his own game. And maybe that's why he also suits this. Yeah, you know, but the subtle tweaks work because... He has done that through the films. He has changed ever so slightly, what way they be, and but still being Jason Voorhees fundamentally, and that's amazing. This game gets that, you know, and really taps into it in a way that, if you were generalising in a game, I don't think you really get. So yeah, I, I fully applaud the effort here to differentiate Jason in so many ways that are minuscule really when you come down to it but they've made it work you know as different classes so to speak
0: i'm so glad we have an opportunity to talk about friday the 13th the films as well as the game because um i totally agree in the sense that like when you look at that series it's not a series that i return to as frequently as let's say a nightmare on elm street or even texas chainsaw massacre um because of the fact that you know like you said there's so much downtime in those movies that it's difficult for me to always return to them outside of like recently there was the anniversary for, um, Jason lives, mm-hmm. which kind of kickstarted my wanting to go back and rewatching some of these movies, which basically kind of semi inspired this conversation yeah. uh, for this week. And one thing that I've always found to be the most emblematic of Jason Voorhees that eludes, I would say almost every other slasher icon is the fact that, And as you mentioned, you know, he is this entity and he's the only slasher icon whose costumes really do represent him as this entity that's never ceasing, that wears their history, not only on their sleeve, but on their back. When you get to something like the New Blood, when you quite literally can see his spinal column and, you know, it's the fact that Jason Voorhees is not changing in these drastic ways, but more just his body takes this wear from, you know, his murderous rampages and whatnot that's gone over, you know, not only decades, but at one point with Jason X, you know, like a millennium or something like that. And, you know, that has always been the most visually interesting aspect of the Friday the 13th films. And that's why, you know, that is the aspect of the game that I find to be Indicative of people that are not doing this IP or utilizing this IP on a whim, so to speak, right? It's people that are fundamentally understanding what makes each iteration of Jason unique, whether it be, you know, iconic weaponry, whether it be the iconic nature of like part two, where he's the bag head. And then part three, he's got the mask. And then you get to all the way to part nine with Jason Goes to Hell, where quite literally that mask has basically become a part of his face because of not only all the, you know, Damage that he's taken, but the fact that he's been underwater, so he's bloated, and it's melted into his face from all the times he's, you know, been near explosions and these things, and it ends up being the type of thing that if you were not a fan of Friday the Thirteenth, you would not go that extra distance in not only having you know the the physical, the visual uh, of those costumes, but more importantly, the fact that each one of those classes plays in a way that is staying true to the film that they're being adapted from. Like if you think about, uh, the Jason goes to hell, which is probably one of my favorite Jason designs, because it just shows again, you know how fucked up he is at this point and how he's just taken so much damage. And you know, one of the things with that character is the fact that, you know, he like moves slowly in water, which at this point we know, like he just broke out of the water from, uh you know, the new blood, right? Yeah. That was basically supposed to be his uh, eternal slumber and whatnot. And I love that there are these little sort of, uh, it's almost like an RPG in a certain way, where there's these little like strengths and balances, checks and balances to each one of these different classes. And the fact that you do have to, you know, sometimes pick a specific class based on the map that you're playing in a given moment. Um, and again, it just, it gives so much variation, I think, to the idea of you're only playing as one killer, but that's not really the case because of all of these different attributes and whatnot and how throughout the course of sort of mastering playing as Jason and, you know, granted, given how there's eight people in one lobby at a time or up to you have Jason and then up to seven counselors, you know, you're learning, how to play the better Jason on both sides of that experience, right? Yeah. Because when you're playing as a survivor, that's ultimately going to influence the ways in which you try to either avoid Jason or just becoming familiar with what Jason could do. You know, that's sort of yeah. almost um, sort of mind reading to a certain degree where you're like, oh, well, if I was Jason in this instance, I would do this or that based off of your own experiences. And when you only have one killer, that is an experience that I think is unique to something like Friday the 13th. Whereas with something like Dead by Daylight, to a certain degree, there are so many killers in that game. It's hard to play that same kind of mind reading, right? Because yeah. of the fact that you would have to have played so many more hours and had so many more experiences against certain killers to really ever be able to truly predict what they were thinking or what was coming next, so to speak.
1: Yeah, and even with their individuality, they you are still working to a formula. Uh, that they, they are being designed for the game rather than that they are in rather than the characters they are. This is the opposite you know the game is informed by Jason and everything Jason is. I think being such a blank slate of a character means that he can be flexible in a way that I always found was the most appealing idea of like Freddie versus Jason was the idea they're both creative killers. But a very different ends of the spectrum. There's there's the thinker and there's the doer. You know, like that, like that. That's the way you always see it. With them, Freddie is the thinker, Jason's the doer, and yeah, it's unsurprisingly you know, they're so alike that they they can work together, but not you know like that, and they could at the same time be vicious enemies. You know, so yeah, that's a good thing about Jason is that he is just you are able to sort of inform how he should play with a basic idea of what he's like, you know, that he doesn't have motivations beyond, you know, being Jason Voorhees and the directive that his mother said he should go out and kill. That's it. And that's what he does. He doesn't care. He doesn't care why he does it, how he does it. He just does it. I, I love that in certain films, he really just does just do whatever. Uh, whatever comes to hand, he'll use it. I mean, Jason X is always a great example, I think. So they had a whole new sort of rule set, you know, like, um, I mean, the the liquid nitrogen kill is always one of my favourites in that one. And, you know, the the callback to the the sleeping bag kill and things like that, just, it's daft, you know, and, like, that film is very much of its time in so many ways, but it's hilarious how it's probably the most meta sort of Jason film in a way, you know, it really does get the character on a level that maybe the sequels to that point had started to lose Mm -hmm. a bit in terms of like, it started to feel a little more disconnected, but um, yeah, I, I like that about it. And Jason is always a character that fascinates me because of that sort of blank slate nature of him, because yeah, like I said, you can just put whatever you want on that. Within obviously the confines of him being, you know, a psychopathic killer.
0: Well, I think that, you know, for him being the sole option of the, you know, the other side of that survivor coin, again, it just it makes for a killer that is far easier to approach because you could play several hours of that game without really imparting a great deal of strategy and just being mm. right from the start, I have to kill these people, I have to hunt them down and kill them, which is a lot more welcoming I think to new players, which a lot of the time when you talk about not only multiplayer, but something as niche as I suppose asymmetrical multiplayer, right? When you start talking about these games that require more investment, more of honing on the strategy and the ways in which that game operates, you know, I think that having that blank slate is very easy uh, to get on board with. And then it's the different ways in which each of them play and you become more familiar and you start to build these strategies and, you know, This game does a great job of balancing the duality of this being a game, but a game that stays true, I think, to, again, the film and the source material in the way that they handle Jason. Because, you know, you have the very simplistic version of Jason, which is if you get within arm's reach of a survivor, you're going to grab them and you're going to, you know, fuck them up in the way that Jason does with these very memorable and brutal kills, which we'll talk about uh, in a minute. But I think that The ways in which they utilize the powers and abilities of Jason is, Mm -hmm. you know, we talked about it with Dave when we chatted about Dead by Daylight, the fact that that game is able to replicate that sort of silver screen magic of horror films. Mm. And I would say that this game, without a doubt, kind of bridges that gap between, you know, you're playing this solo killer that's hunting down seven other people. And, you know, you're playing on this massive map of these different locations and whatnot in the summer camp in the woods. And the fact that they're able to bridge a gap between not burdening the player with like walking in one direction for 20 minutes and not seeing anything a la like PUBG or something. Yeah. But then channeling that movie magic of the Friday 13th films, which is the reality of. Well, Jason's all the way over there. I'm going to run away from them. And then all of a sudden he steps out in front of a tree in front of me, right? And yeah. that is, I find to be the best compliment that I could give this game is that they really do, again, you know, make the player feel like they're living in a film version of Jason, but in the core of a game.
1: Yes. Yeah. I love how they gamify the the whole, how the fuck did he get there? So explanation yep. like that it's one of the first things that really endeared me to the game was just this, oh, you can basically fucking teleport, zoom really fast to thing. You know, the thing that Evil Dead game kind of tapped into later, you know, that I think from this game is that, you know, and I think certain killers that came on later with Dead by Daylight also did, you know, the idea that you could just suddenly transport yourself across the map, you know, uh, with certain conditions. And yeah, that's fantastic, but it's just one way that this game gets that you know that it gets um, the rules of a, you know, a slasher movie you know, and utilizes them in game i mean the fact there's a dynamic here which means that you're not helpless in the same way you are in dead by daylight for instance you know you, you can actually kill jason if you meet certain parameters and i love that because it adds kind of a directorial vibe to it like a real communication that if you do the right things in the right order, and you have the right characters, you can kill him, like that, like that. But you can escape him in different ways, and it's not just about you know, one simple task to get out. You know that there are variables and changes, and that's why it feels more dynamic. You know that, that, that's the thing that, as much as, you know, when we discussed it by daylight, and you know, the simplicity is key in a lot of ways to sort of bring out the better qualities of when it does tease out little details I think there's ambition in this game that that was really untapped for a long time you know the idea that you've got multiple ways of going about things and it feels more freeform you know it's open world in a sense because it's bigger but I think the truly sandbox nature of it comes in the gameplay that you can Approach in different ways. You can be confrontational. You can be you know, sly and cunning. You can be stealthy. You can yeah panic like a fucker and, and get your head chopped off. It, it's all there, you know. And I think that feels more organically like the slasher game we should have had. For other yes. Things, you know. Definitely. And, yeah, I think there's a, definitely been elements of that in what we played of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre game because again there's a game that gets the dynamics right you know? you know that whole family vibe you know the thing that resident evil 7 kind of borrowed but didn't utilize in the way that maybe it should have i think that game gets it and you can see why because this game has the proper dynamic for the slasher series it's using yeah. You know? I mean, the fitting thing about this is the game is basically ignore the first one, go through the rest. Because in the film series, I mean, stylistically, artistically, it's a giallo, you know, in so many ways. It's just it's a beautiful film in so many ways. It, it, It really does everything perfectly like that. And I think it's really underrated just because of the fact that, you know, Jason isn't the killer in it but yeah you know, it's so stylish i you know, like that and yeah i think a lot of, maybe at the time the things that came down to the film were like oh well halloween did this Halloween did that you know And i love halloween but it had a lot more in common with you know those italian slashes we're talking about and then that's what i loved about it more you know the, the misdirection who could be the killer blah 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 like that um yeah whereas halloween is like very quickly telling you that you know, it's yeah. this one. <laughs> you know, and um, Not
0: a lot of mystery to, un- to solve there. <laughs>
1: no, it, it's him. He's done it. You know, <laughs> and that series starting like that is fantastic. So the game being everything else that follows after, which tonally has always felt different, you know, like that, um, makes a lot more sense. It, it's the one franchise where I say it, it's, it's fine to leave the first film out of it, you know, because... Generally, people think of Friday the 13th, Jason Voorhees is that character like that. And I get it, you know, like, and we all get why you know, like that. I mean, to the point where you know, he's that big point in Scream, you know, with the questions at the beginning, because that's literally how it gets seen in, in pop culture. yeah, you know, you, you know, uh, Jason is the killer to everyone who's not really super like into that sort of stuff but he is also the tone that gets set as a result. And as we said, that evolution of that series um, as it goes forward. So yeah, it's, it, it's good. It, it does a good job as a result.
0: Well, I think that the gamification of Jason and the fact that, you know, they do omit that first film, but when you think about, you know, from a gameplay standpoint, it makes sense why. And I, you know, I think that also um, the fact that, The ability most used, which would be, you know, the fact that you can basically freely teleport over the map so that you can get to certain locations and whatnot, is ultimately what stops Jason from not only having this, like, much larger learning curve, I think, but at the same time, it cuts down on, you know, matches being bogged down by, you know, almost a resentment of being assigned as Jason, right, where it's like, oh, great, I get to run through the woods and there's not a great deal of landmarks here, so the fact that they're able to keep players in the moment and sort of facilitate those movie moments where it's like, okay, I'm going to jump to this area. I'm going to use my sensibility. I'm going to see that there's something over at this cabin in this area. All of a sudden you have that moment of somebody being stalked by Jason, either at a cabin or at a various other landmark, whether it be Crystal Lake or otherwise. Um, And when we come back from our break, I want to dive into a little bit more of not only the devastating side of Jason once he you know gets his hands on a counselor, but also the other side of that killer coin, which is going to be playing as a survivor. And the fact that having a much larger team of survivors going up against Jason um, is still one of the more unique aspects of Friday the 13th, the game and whatnot. And it's something that I don't necessarily know that we've seen with a great deal of other asymmetrical uh, horror games, but uh, we'll have more on that in a moment. And we are back from our break. And one thing that we didn't touch upon with our buddy Jason, before we dive into the survivor side of things is you cannot have players as the, one of the most iconic killers in all of horror films. If you do not make those kills as brutal and as faithful while still having sort of a freestyle nature, almost, I think to the ebb and flow of the nature of a game where you have player choice being such a big aspect of it. I mean, from a standard sort of kill, right? Each Jason begins with their iconic weapon based on which costume you're playing as. So, you know, part two has the pickaxe and then you have part three is the machete and so on and so on. And, you know, while each of those kills, I would say is definitely as brutally devastating, if not more so than their film counterparts, thanks to, of course, our good friends at the MPAA and whatnot. um, (laughs) I think within the game itself, you know, Gun's approach and Elphonic's approach to having kills be outside of the usual standard of the films themselves, right? I think they definitely recreated a good deal of them from the movies, yeah. but at the same time, you know, not limiting players' abilities to kill play, uh, to kill survivors in the most memorable of ways, no matter where they are. Um, I would say definitely has been one of those long-lasting strengths of this game uh, that's not going to be soon forgotten.
1: No, it isn't. And, you know, one of the important things they did, even though they didn't reach, like, the Kickstarter goal for it when they first pitched it, was adding the single player content, which, you know, does recreate certain scenes from the movies and allows you to recreate them. I mean, it's the most Hitman stuff you get going outside of a Hitman game. And that was straight away really, like, exciting for me when they did finally add that. Because so that came off. And, oof, yeah, I, I love that. You know, and yeah, it, it it shows an inventiveness in in this uh, game to go beyond the basics. You know, like that. I mean, again, we're gonna keep talking about Dead by Daylight, but it's in impo- <laughs> It's, it's impossible. Yeah, because it came out the same year. You know, it's like the Fortnite PUBG thing. You know, of like two games came out, did the same thing. One kind of like saw the other and did its own thing and. That's the the simple one, is the one that won out, you know, and it goes back to what I was saying keep it simple, stupid, because that is what works in in most games. But yeah, I I think, yeah, in terms of going back to what we were saying before about the character and the series and having a love and understanding for what makes it great, is knowing that the inherent goofy joy of how violent they can be. <laughs> you know, it, it's always really comedically violent. You know, free Stooges level of violence uh, with extra claret. That's all it is. And that's great. That's exactly it. You know, they always say fine line between horror and comedy. You know, you, you can do both in the, a breath if you do it right. And yeah, it, this is a franchise. It's a great example of that where you know, I think people who love it embrace it for both sides of, of that. And, yeah, the game gets that. It totally gets that, you know, with the kills and the inventiveness of them. And yeah, I think we kind of touched upon it earlier as well, I think, a little bit, in terms of like you know, how this franchise is anyway. With that, yeah, for the most part, it really does just capture that. And, and it feels satisfying as well, I think as well. I remember many a session, you know, while the game was still, you know, quite a you know, bit broken, bit buggy, but being Jason and just pulling off these iconic kills was just like amazing. You know, like that it, it still felt great, you know, and that's all you need, really. And I think that's exactly why there are you know, dozens of us, if you will uh, the, 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 you know advocate for it as a game because yeah. it really feels like a love letter in those moments the most
0: yeah and you know i would say that also the inventiveness of the kills prevents a game that is is, is as open world as friday the 13th the game is mm. from feeling like you can only do memorable kills in specific locations where you know the reality is is that jason can be either reliance on that specific Jason class's skill set, their weapon set, or just being, you know, improvising basically yeah. within an environment. I mean, the first time that I was able to grab a survivor and then shove their head into the fireplace and then put my foot on the back of their neck and just hold them there as basically one <laughs> of their teammates runs around and screams in terror in the background and then runs and jumps out a window. Like that was one of those moments that was so organic and so rewarding from just that brutal comical nature that is inherent to friday the 13th and you know i think that that was what was again when you pair that with the fact that the player as jason can basically get around the map in any manner they see fit and is not bogged down by these lengthy spells of just you know wandering the woods and not doing shit it keeps it i think it allows a killer to be more immediate and rewarding, the potential for it to be rewarding, right? If you suck at Jason, you suck at Jason. But once you master those sort of fundamentals, you're given the tools to keep yourself in the thick of things far longer than some other asymmetrical multiplayer games that have not been able to strike that balance quite as well as this game. And, you know, that furthermore feeds into the idea that, you know, each one of those classes has a different capacity for dealing out, I would say, unique carnage based upon their specific skill set or their weapon. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you're going to take a risk on playing a certain class that you've never played before, you know pretty much that it's like, okay, I can at least look out for these environmental factors that could have a big payoff for a kill. But at the same time, none of those locations scattered throughout a given map feel like they're limited, right? It'd be one thing if there was like, okay, I'm playing Camp Crystal Lake. There's these three locations that have environmental kills tied to them. No. There's a plethora of them no matter where you're at. So really, it's up to the player to sort of become familiar with locations and then realize like, oh no, I can be creative. Even if my plan A fails, there's a B and a C there that's just as devastating and just as final for that survivor.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things there on the other side is that, you know, we were going back to this earlier with um, that you can kill Jason. And the fact, Tommy Jarvis being like, the character that is like a special unlock, lock if you will like by being certain permutations uh we have to find like a cb radio and um if someone gets killed basically if they um yeah you know, or escapes they can suddenly come back in as him and he has you know he has a shotgun he has a knife he has first aid spray and stuff like that and he can kill jason and it's a dynamic that to this day, is one of the most exciting ones because it turns the tables, you know. Suddenly, and I think you need that. I think what gets forgotten when you get these kind of games is, is that you know, the killer shouldn't be, you know, completely unstoppable. Really, I mean, if you're thinking of it in traditional horror movie terms, the idea is you are supposed to be able to defeat them in most cases you know escape is one thing you know like that it works much better for say texas chainsaw that you're just escaping you know um but here you know it's like jason can be you know quote unquote killed you know and um and be bested for the day so why not have a character that does that you know and tommy jarvis is the perfect character for that you know The, the character with the longest real arc in the series yeah you know, you know, he's as close to a Laurie strode as you'll get in this franchise and yeah if i mean to the point played by different people though but um still yeah it's a really fascinating character to have and you know and, and having to complete certain objectives to get him really does just take a nice turn for it because it adds a little bit more urgency to the jason side of things where you don't stop feeling unstoppable until that moment. Because, you know, you you can toy with everyone as much as possible. If people don't really know how to do it all, it's great. But, you know, when, when people, you know, and more and more now that's the case, will get what they have to do, it's a race against time to basically just murder as many of those fuckers as possible. You know, and that's great. Yeah, it's the, the extra kick that's needed, I think, in that because despite... What seems like a massive imbalance in having, you know, that many counselors to one Jason. It, it works because Jason is just so, so powerful. Because if we go back to what we were saying before, he's an entity. You know, he his sole purpose is killing for his own gain, you know, not for anyone else's, not for any greater good. He's just doing it because that's him. You know, he's a shark.
0: This is programming.
1: Yeah, that's it. And So he is powerful, can kill very easily, and it's a lot harder for the survivors. So the idea is you're supposed to, with that many survivors, you are basically communication, teamwork, but also the ability to split into individual teams within that and like take different objectives, draw Jason away from certain areas like that. And I think it's harder to do with four people you know, against one, uh, because all it takes is one rogue agent and you're fucked, that's it, the whole situation. But with seven, you know, you can very easily form two or three groups and split the difference like that. You have one guy that's basically going around goading Jason into trying to catch you and like that. And and, and because Jason's abilities mean that that doesn't look like it lasts very long. It means there's no foolproof plan like that, you know. And I think if they'd ever had the chance to really update that and um, go past certain exploits, it would have been even better. But even with like the potential to learn certain patterns, there was so much about this game that you would have an unpredictability about, you know. You, you would just not know how a match would go because you can't really read how people would play it. Like that, And it, obviously that's got easier the less people play it and the more dedicated people play it because they are into playing it as it should be played. But even then, that's got its own quality because you're all on the same page a bit more. You're all playing it like you should be playing it. And there's something more deep and satisfying about that.
0: Well, there's strategic strength in numbers, right? When you have up to seven counselors. And I think that it's a great example of not only giving the survivors strength in numbers, but the fact that they have multiple avenues for success. You know, and it's one of those things where it's like, if you get together with a group of people that know what they're doing, where communication is of course key, uh, you could go for something more difficult like actually killing Jason. It's nice to, from the outset have the option of a much harder victory condition that is ultimately just rewarding outside you know of course there's going to be more xp and things that are gained from that but you know there's also the fact that that victory condition you would be doing for like just the love of the game right the fact that you could at least get together with a group of people that have mastered survivors to the much as much as they could have and then they end up going for that much more difficult challenge it almost feels kind of like the raid equivalent of one of these types of asymmetrical games, right? Where you guys get together, you formulate a strategy, this and that. Um, But I think ultimately, you know, having those extra avenues of potential success allows for the players to have more strategy. The fact that, oh, well, we can, you know, perhaps we'll send two people to this objective, but we'll actually send more to the other. So that way we can, you know, actually distract him per se. Um, And that ends up being one of those aspects of teamwork that, at the end of the day, and it's the nature of all of these games, it's only going to really get reap the best benefits of you know an enjoyable session if you have people that are communicating as they should be. Um, but at the same time, I think that it allows for a little bit more of a freestyle approach. Whereas with something like Dead by Daylight, it's like you have a very regimented gameplay style. You have very regimented sort of limitations, I would suppose. I suppose of you know how you can actually win a match or how you can survive. Whereas with something like Friday the 13th, it feels like there's more ebb and flow to a match because Mm -hmm. of the fact that, you know, if one objective starts being the priority and then let's say two people get killed at one thing, it's like, oh, well, we can bug out, regroup and attack another one or devise a new plan. Um, And that's always something that I'm in favor of with these types of games, right? Is that, you know, just because one plan fails doesn't mean it's game over. It's like with the old Splinter Cell games. If you got seen from the outset, you were just mission is over, but... (laughs) As these things tend to evolve, you know, players are able to sort of recoup from a perceived loss and attack this match or this sort of uh, objective with a whole new sort of vigor, if you will, a second wind and everything. Um, So, yeah, you know, I think that while I'm not as taken with the survivor side of things, I am a fan of the fact that the Friday 13th game at least gave survivors more options for success rather than kind of funneling them down this one path for success that, you know, if you lose enough people, it becomes insurmountable and then you might as well just back out of the match. Um, So it was interesting to kind of see that dynamic as we've mentioned be so off kilter. But then of course you have Jason, who is that entity that's almost completely unstoppable. Um, But it doesn't feel artificially difficult. I'll say in the traditional sense, which is, you know, comes back to multiplayer balance and uh, you know how pivotal that is.
1: I mean, Maybe it's just because it didn't get the chance to get stale, but I found a greater joy in failing as a survivor. That you know, it was, you know, It felt like the whole childhood thing of just like you know, being chased and like tag and things like that. You you just it, there's a thrill in actually getting caught out in the end, and because of the grisly way you can get caught as well, it, it kind of makes it funnier. Yeah, and, um, yeah, it, it's, it goes back to, again, just the more you love about this franchise, the more this game gives you, I think, you know, like that. And it is, to this day, one of those rare games where I can look at it from a critic's eye, you know, when it came out, and say, yeah, you know, this is below par. There, there's so much wrong with it. You know, it's glitchy, servers are crap whatever like that but at the same time look at it and go it's really fun and it gets its you know material perfectly like that and and i have a fondness for it like i said it goes back to how i feel about friday the 13th in general like that i think throughout the whole franchise there's one film i could even call a genuine classic and that's the first one like that i have such love for all of them you know like that i will watch them like nothing you know i i find them comfort watches you know I, but you know there's often times where i can't separate one from the other because they are so that's similar. fair
0: <laughs> doesn't but, it help that they yeah. spend the first five minutes each one recapping
1: exactly yeah <laughs> it's just they all bleed into each other but i love it as a franchise it is so comforting it's so consistent in what it's doing even when it goes wild and you know more than anything i miss the, those days you know when it does come back which is you know increasingly likely it's not going to be the same you know because we've passed that you know the the media landscape has changed so much that we are going to get something much more in line with the remake, which, you know, I love, I know people love that film, you know, and people that love the bold ideas of it, and yeah, really strong opening, but yeah, it's just, to me, given the spirit of the previous films, it just doesn't do it for me. You know, like, I, I am very much 100% into what Friday the 13th was as a franchise. You know, as opportunistic as it was in terms of, like, pumping out sequels that really didn't have a lot to them there's always something in each one that is memorable you know and really even if you can't tell much of the films apart in other ways they always stuck out you know and that's what makes this one of the most interesting sort of video game licenses yeah that we get you know um, because yeah despite the stuff that happened about it in terms of like losing that license and all that for that brief period it was there It, it got everything and like i said people who care about it look at it and go there's a game that really nails the license it has it not just in like You know, visual detail, whatever, or like little Easter eggs and things, like, you know, because even there, there's like these Pamela Voorhees things, these diaries are amazing and like adding little Easter eggs and extra details. But it's just in terms of how the game plays, you know, like it, everything about it feels like a part of what Friday the 13th is, you know, like that.
0: It feels like a remixing of the best elements of Friday the 13th, which yeah. is what you know we've been talking about. I think that it's a shame and it's definitely the type of game that I look back on and I feel for the developers because sort of what we've been talking about, the fact that these were a group of people that so fundamentally nailed the foundation of what a Friday the 13th game could look like. They accurately represent it in a way that gamifies it while not being a disservice to the IP. And the yeah. fact that when you look at the, what the content map or the blueprint, there's that word we hate so much content. I mean, the mm-hmm. blueprint for what DLC could look like or supporting it as a live service game, this is a group of people that proved that they could pick apart the most memorable and the most unique parts of Friday the 13th. And who's to say they couldn't continue supporting it with those bite sized yeah. moments that are so special in those films that, you know, now that we've are so far removed from. The sort of churning out sequel nature of those movies, you know, the world is their oyster basically with this IP and what they could have chosen to pursue with that, whether it be, you know, refining either maps, whether it's, you know, tapping into films like Jason X and these things. But, you know, I think that they had such a strong sort of just opening for this game that... They clearly understood the source material better than you know previous adaptations not that there were many but we have know what some of those adaptations had looked like um and it's one of those very sort of somber things to return to and to you know reminisce about because of the fact that it does feel like it was cut short uh before it could truly explode into something that could yeah. be competitive with you know a dead by daylight or any other number of asymmetrical multiplayer games but at the same time, you know, we get to see things like uh, Evil Dead turn into a multiplayer game that's supported in the proper way that has, you know, somewhat of a uh, a live service kind of blueprint map for additional content. And, uh, yeah, it's just it's uh, somewhat depressing when you think about Friday the 13th and those fond memories that are such a perfect distillation of that. And yeah. unfortunately, it's not uh, not something that we'll be able to revisit uh, moving forwards.
1: Yeah, it is a shame, but you know it's been inevitable for a long time that we were going to get this kind of thing happen. And I'm just glad we had it. You know, in its moment, I think it's... We took this away about any game that didn't quite get to live up to its potential. It's why PT is like this big thing in terms of Silent Hill now, because it will never be everything. Yeah, but the the short glimpse everyone got that was never gonna actually be the game itself is, you know, so revered now because that's what we feel like we lost, you know, like that and you know, this game has so much about it They'd are like, Oh, it'd be amazing if if we could do this. I mean, this isn't like the only Friday the thirteenth game that's gonna go when the listing happens to kill a killer puzzle. Which was also really amazing, which is like uh Slayaway Camps makers uh it was basically their reskin of their game with uh, Friday the thirteenth. Like and it worked really well because again that was a game that was a homaging film like Friday the thirteenth. And um, you know, they're losing that again, which is so sad. But at the same time, we had it. We had that moment. It's dreadfully sad that we have to even talk about this with live service games anyway, that there's an inevitability that they are going to perish at some point unless they are mega successful or they don't come in with the highest of standards in terms of like what player count they want and they'll just hit a nice niche. They, that's That's what you dream of now, I think. Because unless you're really going for, you know, reaching for the stars, you want to hit hit a niche. So you know, Killer Clowns has to hit a niche. Texas Chainsaw has to hit a niche. You know, and that'll be enough. Evil Dead, even like uh, as much as it hits a niche, you know, in terms of like cultural impact, it was never going to be a long term thing. And I think that's this is always the problem now, especially in the modern age. Being one license means you aren't really going to go very far. You know, you you aren't going to reach those heights that something like a Fortnite, Dead by Daylight is ever going to reach because they can just pick any license and come back to, you know, we talked at the top of the show about that, didn't we? Dead by Daylight can turn around having been moaned about by its fan base for months on end about what the balances are and this shit, this is shit, that is shit, like that. And they can just go. Oh yeah, here you go. Here's another famous horror villain or whatever like that, and that's it. That's all they need, uh, and the hype is uh, renewed, and the audience is there. It's the sad fact of it. all.
0: Yeah, but I think if anything, the silver lining is, is that they're going to continue to be adapting, uh, you know, beloved horror IPs, as we've seen. You know, you mentioned two uh, Killer Clowns and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Uh, I'm sure we'll have some type of Scream equivalent or something in the future. But uh, yeah, if anything, you know, you just hope that developers are continually paying attention to what came before and learning from those mistakes and uh, perhaps not always painting oneself into a corner, if you will. But uh, I'm sure we'll be covering, um, you know, we will be covering, you know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre game and, uh, you know, inevitably, I'm sure the uh, Killer Clowns game. But I'm sure there's going to be a couple others down the line that we'll cover that we can't even uh, you know anticipate at this point. But I think that um, you know there's been an uptick, I suppose, in developers that are utilizing those IPs in a way that feels a little more faithful and more intrinsic to the you know brands in which they are utilizing. Yeah. Not just from the aesthetic standpoint or the cosmetic standpoint, but from a gameplay standpoint, which ultimately is going to be the biggest tell whether or not uh, you know one of these titles will be around for more than uh just being you know distilled down to like the flavor of the week of multiplayer if you will um but you can say next week we'll be changing gears from the asymmetrical realm of things to um, a little survival horror top-down game that uh, we've not had a chance to chat about yet and that would Mm -hmm. be darkwood um so we're very much looking forward to changing gears but you know coming to our uh, you know, survival horror sort of roguelite roots, if you will. Um, hmm. But I look forward to chatting about that and much more with you uh, next time for Safe Room. Indeed, yeah. Until the next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. You can follow our Twitter account for horror HorrorBytes also, at HorrorBytes underscore SR. You can join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love. And last but not least, you can email us at saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.